Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Fear not, the Lord declares to his people today. Fear not, nor 
be afraid. You know that phrase, either fear not, don't be afraid. So another kind of permutation of it occurs 117 times in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments. God seems just to be constantly, yes, even incessantly telling his people to not be afraid. So why does God have this emphasis on fear? Why does he keep telling us to not be afraid? You know, the fear that God is speaking about here goes beyond the occasional fears that we have. You know, these occasional fears, I like to call them like a fear of spiders or uh, being afraid of heights or being afraid of needles. You know, these are natural fears that we have, but they can be irrational as well. And these occasional fears, you know, we have going about our daily business, but, you know, they're not so deeply uh, spiritual to us or so troublesome as we get older, you know, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, we're not going to find ourselves in a forest world full of giant spiders or in a room full of needles. So both of those situations sound very terrifying, you know, but for the most part, these kind of fears don't affect our faithfulness. You know, for instance, my personal fear, as I shared with the children there, is, you know, needles of blood. You know, I can't stand the sight of blood. I hate needles going into me, but I manage to always pull through it and, you know, look away as soon as the needle begins. You know, but God isn't particularly here talking about me going to the doctor's office and the fear that I have going there. But nevertheless, I should trust in God above all things, even when going into the doctor's office. Said God here is dealing with the greatest, deepest, and truest fears that we have. You know, these minor fears that I mentioned all point to these greater fears, and all that fear is, is means for us is a lack of security. You know, whether irrational, rather rational or irrational. But the greatest in, uh, insecurities that we have the things that rely on the most, those are our idols. You know, Luther, in the large catechism, an explanation to the first commandment, has an amazing answer about what a god is or what an idol is. When he says this here, this is the best definition of a god you could ever find. Uh, so Luther writes here, he says, A god means that from which we are to expect all good, and to which we are to take refuge in all distress, so that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe Him from the whole heart. As I have often said, the confidence of faith of the heart alone makes both God and an idol. So a God is something which we seek refuge in, that we put our faith, hope, and trust in. That's what a God is. But what are some things in our lives in which we look to for all good? What are things in our lives that we look to in times of distress to bring help and aid to us? What are our God or gods? What are things that we put our fear, love, and trust in before the one true God? And so throughout this sermon, I'm going to say the first commandment. I'll say, remember the first commandment, right? What's the first commandment? Let's say that all together. You shall have no other gods before me, right? Let's say that together. You shall have no other gods before me. 
All right. And then, what is Luther's explanation to the first commandment? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Let's say that again together. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Okay, so when I say remember the first commandment, we're going to say the first commandment, and then I say, what does this mean? We're going to say Luther's explanation together. So, you know, looking at the vast array of idols that we can have in our lives, one of those idols, one of the things that we seek refuge and, and protection uh, from uh, for this world is money. Money or mammon is probably one of the greatest gods to ever walk the earth. I mean, if you have a lot of it, you seem to have security, right? And if you don't have a lot of it, you, you have a lot of insecurity, right? There's not much security if you don't have a lot of money. And the thing about money is, is can you ever have enough of it? No, right? We have to have more and more money, right? That's There can never be enough money that can be in our pockets, right? That's just the nature of greed. Greed is, is just one of the greatest vices because it's all consuming. No matter how much money we get, we want more of it. You know, I just had heard that the Powerball is up to $1 billion. That's a lot of money. Can you believe it? That's a lot of money. Now, if you were to, say, win the Powerball, don't gamble, Okay, but say if someone were to win the Powerball, do you think that that $1 billion is going to ultimately help out that person? Well, if we look at the record, no, it will not. Often when we get, often when a person wins a large sum of money, at the end of it, they end up being poorer than what they started out. That's just the nature of that's the nature of money. Money does not solve problems. I mean, look to our celebrity class who has all the money in the world. Does the money that they have solve any of their problems? No, not at all. There, you know, there's a saying out there, more money, more problems. And it is true. Money is not the silver bullet solution to our problems. Money does not give to us true security. You can never buy it. The thing is, is that money is a part of God's good creation, and money does serve a useful purpose of helping us to sustain our mortal existence, for sure, but that's all money can do. Money can never buy you purpose, meaning, joy, happiness, or contentment. Money cannot do those things. And the problem with the love of money is that love of money is corrosive to the soul. You know, when we put our monetary worth, whether as, a, as an individual or as a nation, that's what we look to for refuge and security. I mean, just think about how idolatrous we are with money. Think about the economy, right? Think about looking to a 0.2% bump in our national outcome, right? People put all their hopes and aspirations in that, in the stock market, as their source of meaning and security. And we look what companies do, and corporations do, and companies and corporations will take, will do whatever it takes to, uh, to improve the bottom line, uh, violating God's law and promoting licentiousness to do it. Um, it's just to make them buy one more little buck to 
buy them uh, one more bit, a little bit of security, one more little bit of market share. That's because in reality, if we are honest with ourselves, the national God of the United States is the almighty dollar. But like all idols, it will fail you. And when it does, it causes great harm and destruction in its way. Think about the fear of recession. Think about the fear of economic downturn, right? That causes all sorts of anxiety and fear in us. And these fears and anxieties are in us because they're the result of misplaced trust. You know, the thing is, is that God judges idolatry. Um, and this is a part of God's judgment and chastisement when we rely on gods other than Him alone. And the reason why He disciplines us is that He loves us, right? He is, he's our Heavenly Father, and He disciplines us because He knows that these false gods, like money, are going to fail us, right? He doesn't want us to be burned. It's like a, a, a parent teaching a, a child not to put their hand on the stove, right? You swat the hand away. Sure, there's a little bit of pain with the hand being swatted away, but you prevent the child from burning their hand on the oven, a greater, a, a greater uh, pain, right? So our Lord knows that these, these idols are bad for us, and he wants us to trust in him above all things. Because remember the first commandment? What does this mean? Let's say that again, a little more emphasis. Alrighty. What does this mean? Amen. Well, good, right? That's what it means to have a God. Another God, another idol we have, is to put our hope and trust in our, our reputations. And the thing is, is that we want to be liked and we want to be loved. You know, for the most part, I think most Americans don't want to be viewed as a weirdo. You know, we're going to have, but the thing is, as Christians, we're going to be increasingly seen that way because we have different priorities than the world. You know, what kind of witness do we give as Christians? God calls on us today to be his witnesses in Isaiah 44. But what kind of witness do we give when we have the same priorities as the pagan world, when we try to fit in? And right now I'm going to attack one of the biggest idols out there in the room. What kind of witness do we, do we get when we skip church instead in favor of sports or entertainment? You know, what kind of witness do we give to our children when we consider church to be optional? You know, what kind of witness do we give when we skip church and instead we want to get caught up on our, our favorite Netflix show and binge watch it in the morning and go out for Sunday brunch? And how are the pagans to take us seriously when we Christians give a bad witness to the world with our priorities? Fear not, nor be afraid. I have told it uh, to you from of old and declared it. You are my witnesses. And now I know here that I am preaching to the choir. I see a lot of heads going up and down as I'm talking about sports and entertainment. And I know that you have come here uh, and, and worshiped, and that you could have possibly been a million other places or had a million other things to do other than, other than to be here. 
and we are thankful for your witness and for the encouragement of gathering together to worship and to pray together as God's family. But we also must be reminded of God's law in that we are sinners and we often forget God's law. We have to be reminded uh, ever so often, and we must be reminded that the gospel is costly. Both Christ costs, right? He paid the full price on the cross so that we may receive free grace. That is, grace alone we are saved. And we must remember that free grace isn't cheap grace, right? That discipleship means that we're going to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And Jesus is quite clear about this. You know, we as Christians, we should never be afraid to stand for the truth, to stand for Christ, even if it means we incur personal loss, loss of reputation, loss of career opportunity, or maybe even if we don't get that coveted sports scholarship for our child. These things here, they don't provide for you the real meaning and security in life. They're not as important as eternity. You know, Jesus warns us in the Gospels, he says that one can gain the world and yet lose their soul. You know, what are the riches and treasures of this world compared with Christ and eternity and the eternal treasures he has in store for us? Nothing can. And don't get me wrong, all these things, reputation, entertainment, sports, you know, they all have their, their place, right, in our lives, or they're good gifts from God. But the problem with, with us and our, and our idolatrous hearts is that we take the good things from God and we use them in the worst possible way. That's the essence of idolatry, right? We make idols out of these things and the idols have the good gifts from God. Instead of seeing God as the giver of all these gifts, we look to his gifts instead as where we receive meaning, purpose, and identity from, right? And, and the thing is, is that God doesn't share that place in our hearts. God doesn't share being God with anyone. He is a jealous God, right? And he's a jealous God because he knows that all these other gods, all their promises are a lie. He knows that they're gonna hurt you, right? And so he wants, to look, he wants, he wants you to look to him for all good things because he alone is our creator, our Redeemer in our rock. You know, remember the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? Amen, amen. A little bit of confirmation pressure. Um, but the ultimate idol that we have in our lives is the place where we receive, where we want to receive all of our uh, meaning and security in this life is that we want to be in control. We want to be in control of every aspect of our lives. Society tells us that we can be in control of everything. We can even be in control of what gender we are. That's how far society says that we are in control of things, right? And think of all the things we want to be in control of, right? You know, maybe we want to be in control of where we want or the direction of our nation to go into, right? If only I was in control, then things wouldn't be as bad as they are, right? Or we want to be in control of the weather. And I just preached uh, yesterday that, oh, I want to be in control of the weather because we need the rain. Well, it rained this morning, so, you know, there's that. But, you know, but we, we want to control the weather, you know, too, too much rain, too little rain, 
too hot, too cold, right? We want to be in control of things. That's why we have air conditioning, right? Because we want to be in control of the temperature. But all of this control goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And, and to Adam and Eve's original sin of, of, of seeking to usurp God and his, and, and, and his place, to usurp God and to be their own gods. Right? They wanted to be the gods of the creation. Um, but the thing is, is that there's one thing that we cannot control. And that's the most scandalous thing. No matter how much we advance technology, no matter how far we get, there's one thing that humans will never control. And that's death itself. Death terrifies the world. Death puts an end to all of us. We can't escape it, we can't avoid it. We can't control death. And death is that consequence for our sin. Our rebellion against God and his good and gracious will for us. Death entered the world as a result of Adam and Eve's uh, rebellion, and we've inherited that and continue to perpetuate that rebellion ever since. And all of the times that we seek to control things, and uh, as humans seek to do that, all that's done in the world throughout history has brought nothing but suffering and misery. You know, those that grip to this life the hardest, you know, those that cling to it, will lose it, right? If we, if we seek to control things, what? That control uh, comes out of your hand like fine grains of sand, right? But if we lose our life for Christ's sake, we will find it, right? God is God alone. No one is like him. And, we, and, and because he is our creator and redeemer in our rock, we know that we have nothing to fear, right? He is the one true God. And he alone has the power to save us from death. Remember the first commandment? <laughs> what does this mean? Today, God gives to us a challenge. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. It's he who can answer that question. No one is like God. That's the answer. Not any of us here. God is completely separate from his creation. As God proclaims in Isaiah, he is the first and he is the last. Whereas John says in Revelation, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what that means, God being separate from his creation, means that God does not depend on us whatsoever. God doesn't need our love for him. God doesn't need our prayers. God doesn't need our good works. And so why does God, if he doesn't need those things, why does God invite us to do so, to pray to him, to, to love him, and to share his love with others? Well, it's only out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in us that, uh, that, that does this, right? God created us and has redeemed us out of an act of pure divine love. And so he invites us to love him, to pray to him, and to do good works because he loves us and wants to share his love of the world to others through us, to be his witnesses. Now we have no fear because our Lord is the creator of the universe, right? And if the creator of the universe is on our side, who can be against us? And we know that God loves us. We know that he loves us because he sent his son into the world. 
God is both our creator and redeemer. And that just as God had redeemed Israel uh, from the land of slavery in Egypt, so too has God called us out of slavery to darkness and sin and into his marvelous light through his son who bought and purchased us with a price. And that price was the blood of, of his son. He died on the cross for us so that we may be his very own, that we are his treasured possession. We are bought with the redemption price, uh, and that Christ, his blood, washes away all of our sins. And his blood is, is so, it has so much worth, it's worth more than all of the gold and the silver in the world. That is how powerful and how um, uh, amazing of a God that we have, that he sent his son to die for us, and through his death he has claimed us to be his very own. So we have no fear. We are sealed in his promise through his death. And what Jesus tells us today is he says this, do not fear, I have taken your sin and death, your anxieties into myself. I took them into my body on the cross where I died for them. And three days later, I rose from the dead for you, so that just as you're united with me in my death and baptism, so now too are you united with me in my resurrection. You have nothing to fear. You have eternal life forever and ever. In Christ, we have nothing to fear because he has given us eternal life, and that is through his death and resurrection. And so no matter what happens to us in this life, Right? We, will, we will always belong to Christ. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Jesus is our rock, and Jesus never lies. Jesus will never fail you. And whatever trials you are going through in life right now, whatever sins you're wrestling with, whatever darkness you're wrestling with, Christ is your rock. You can be certain of all of God's promises are true because everything Jesus said came true. His promises are rock solid. They can never be revoked or taken away from us. We can never be separated from God's love. And he has claimed us lost and condemned sinners to be his very own. And he is always faithful to his promises. And he is he's faithful to his promises to us today. He tells us today, do not fear. I have overcome the world for you. Christ is our rock, he is our sure defense. And he calls on us today to cast all of our cares and anxieties on him, for he alone can bear them. And we know that he, he can because he bore the sins of the whole world on his shoulders on the cross. He alone can do this, God alone can do this. No idol ever can. Today, Jesus calls on us to repent of our idolatry and look to him alone for all of our meaning and purpose in life. Remember the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. God doesn't share being God with anyone or anything. He alone is God, and He alone is mighty to save. And, you know, the thing is, is that He doesn't need our prayers or worship, but He comes to us today out of an act of pure, divine love for us. And that love that He gives to us today casts out every fear from our hearts. 
thing is, is idols will always fail us. But the promises of the one true God will never fail us. He never lies. His word is certain and true. He sends his word into the world that we may know him and know that his promises are true. Repent of idolatry. Receive God's forgiveness, love, and mercy. Do not fear or be afraid. Christ is risen. Amen. Christ gives you eternal security today. Do not fear nor be afraid. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.